From LibertyCast Studios and the Defenders of Capitalism Project, here's another capital idea from your host, Mike Williams. Mike Williams here, defender and champion of laissez-faire capitalism. Hi, this is Michael Williams with the Defenders of Capitalism Project, and you're listening to the podcast Capital Idea, where we think and talk about all things capitalism, including the moral case for capitalism. This episode was actually recorded on Lee Elsie's nationally syndicated radio show. Lee is the voice of freedom. Uh, He and I spent some time together in the Charter Oak Leadership Program, and he invited me on to do a little bit of an interview on his radio program, and I enjoyed spending some time with Lee, and I hopefully you'll enjoy the, the talk as well. Listening to the voice of freedom, Lee Elsie on 94.9 News Now and stimulating talk. All right, ladies and gentlemen, very, very, very special guest joining us right now. I told you in the past I was fortunate enough to be part of a leadership class here in Connecticut, and it really was a life changing event, right? I mean, in the beginning, as I've said before, I kind of took it nonchalant, but as the class sort of progressed, it was just an an amazing experience that I'm so happy that I got a chance to be a part of. And my next guest is Michael Williams. And Mike is the founder and president of Altius Financial out of Denver. He's also a board member of the leadership program of the Rockies and the creator of the Defenders of Capitalism Project. And he's also one of the main cogs in the Charter Oak Leadership Program here in Connecticut. He's been kind enough to join us today. Mike, thank you. I really appreciate you having me, Lee. It's great to hear your voice and uh, catch up with you a little bit. So we've been lucky to have several of the superstars from Charter Oak Leadership Program on with us. And I guess the best place to start is with your association with them and, and how that alliance evolved. And, and then maybe a, a short description on exactly what CLP is, is all about and what it does. Sure, you bet. Uh, the Charter Oak Leadership Program is uh, sort of a sister program from what we started out here in Colorado uh, called the Leadership Program of the Rockies. Uh, they're, they're both similar formats, similar uh, curriculum, so to speak, um, and I started the Defenders of Capitalism project as a part of LPR, as part, as part of our, our group out, out here in Colorado, um, to mainly complement what was going on in that program. The program was focused on principles, uh, defending and championing uh, the founding of America, Americanism, uh, uh, conservative values, uh, the proper role of government. And I, I inserted this idea of saying, okay, a lot of you guys who are great defenders of America, the American ideals, um, talk about capitalism, talk about free markets, but do you talk about it as effectively as you can? And so that was the idea was to say, okay, we need a, a complementary program that shows people not only is the American system of government and Republican constitutionalism, the, the right way to, to run a government, but also having a free market and being able to champion a free market on the proper basis was the, the original idea. And the information you get from CLP gives you that confidence to deliver that three-minute elevator speech to some bright-eyed econ grad who just doesn't get it and doesn't understand the morals that surround true capitalism. That is the idea, and I appreciate you uh, giving that example. I, actually, I was I was in 
at a conference recently over in Europe where I was talking to a lot of uh, young econ grads or actually doctoral students, uh, people who are, you know, teaching now. Um, and it's, it's a similar thing with that group. You know, they always focus on, uh, okay, here, here are the rational, practical arguments for free trade, for people being able to deal with each other voluntarily, which is basically all what a, all what a free market is, is voluntar- mutual voluntary exchange and price discovery, which is basically just finding out how much people value things, what, what they really value in the world. And, 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 but they always focus on the practical and, and we do too in the Charter Oak Leadership Program. As you know, we focus on the, the, you know, unarguable practical benefits of freedom. Um, and, and you can see that throughout history where whenever you've had a free society, people who do subscribe to that ideal of being able to deal with the, other on a mutual voluntary basis, you know, that promotes freedom, prosperity, uh, spiritual goods, all the, all the kinds of goods that people value, whether it's material or spiritual goods, all those things explode in a free market. And that is an unarguable case in history, whether you're looking at uh, different geographic parts of the planet, uh, different cultures, no matter what it is, if you have freedom, you have uh, more happiness, freedom, and prosperity. But but people don't make enough of a case of no, that's good. Uh, you need to make a moral case, right? Uh, because we constantly we constantly feed uh, the moral case to people on the left, the people who are wanting to control things, the people who are stated. And so, you know, that, that three minute ele- elevator speech is really boils down to every individual has a right to their own life to make their own decisions. Let's let's respect people as individuals and and having an independent mind themselves and and. That's the moral case is being able to say this is congruent with human, human nature as the founders understood and human nature as, as really as, as, uh, human experience is proven. Um, this is a consistent moral system as well. That actually leads to my next question, which is capitalism seems to really be in the doghouse these days. And you say this all the time that capitalism is the most moral form an economy can take. And I'm sure progressive folks listening to us right now are rolling their eyes and saying, well, this is sacrilege. Capitalism is all that's wrong with a country, but you're firm. Capitalism is moral, correct? Well, I don't even, I, I go further than that, Lee. I say it's not only the most moral, it's the only moral. It's the only moral system that mankind has come up with. And it's, you know, it's an organic system that grew out of people observing reality, you know, watching how, how it, it is to, to, subjugate other people, uh, you know, enslave them, um, or to control them with force. And that's what it boils down to is, is those people on the left, they like their freedoms as much as you and I, but they make sort of a, a big mistake in saying, well, I'm a rational person and maybe you're a rational person, but all my other, all of our other fellow citizens can't, they can't either take care of themselves in the sense of, you know, they need, we need a welfare state or they're going to, they're predators and they're going to hurt us. And they don't describe the same kind of moral uh, uh, virtue that they give themselves. They kind of exclude themselves out of that argument. And so they're the ones who want to be in control of things. Right. And, you know, it, it's difficult. If someone's a dyed-in-the-wool status, you're not really uh, uh, going to be able to persuade them. If they believe morally that it's right to control other people, to you know, control what they earn, control what they pay, other, pay their employees, to, to use the force of government, to control other people, to take money from them through taxation, 
then it's going to be a difficult uh, persuasion. But if you have someone who's sort of in the middle and, and says, you know, let me, let me, okay, I, I understand this. I've watched and I see how, you know, cutting taxes and spending, you know, encourages uh, finance or uh, uh, economic growth. Or I see where uh, controlling a minimum wage, you know, having people have a minimum wage actually increases unemployment for the most, you know, the most important people that it's supposed to help. It doesn't work. You know, it's actually having the opposite effect. Then you can have a, you know, you can have a rational conversation with somebody like that who is persuadable. That does someone that, you know, this is the question to ask. Does a person, does an individual person have a right to do what they want with their life and the fruits of their labor? And if they answer yes to that question in the abstract, then you can start to say, okay, that principle, how do we apply that principle to all these other issues? Now, again, you may, it may be a difficult road, road to uh, completely persuade them to, no, we really should have laissez-faire capital. Right. But that's the question is, you know, can we move people on the margin to a freer and freer society? It's an ideal, just like the, the opposite is an ideal. You know, the, the whole idea of having a, a community, a, a commune-based society where everyone is equal, that is their ideal. That's the left ideal is, is you know, reducing us all to the same boring, you know, nothing. Right. <laughs> not, not very productive. You know, it's actually reducing us all in terms of... Uh, our productivity, our relationships, and so forth. Um, and that's their ideal. And, and we have to contrast that. They know our ideal is for people to, to thrive. Uh, and that means they get to be making their own choices with their life and who they trade with. Some of the things that you pointed out, too, is that you make a point during the course of the class that we're really not living in a completely capitalistic society. It's not completely no, no, free, right? Yeah, and you know, you talk about the elimination of regulations and other things and how it would actually improve the everyday life of capitalism. It's really remarkable how you can get down to the nitty-gritty and explain every detail in its most pure, simplistic form. It's really incredible what you do. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And I think that, that point you bring up, Lee, is really important that we, we uh, do stress in the Charter Oak Leadership Program is that um, most people coming into the program having some you know, positive uh, affinity with the founding documents, the, you know, the Constitution, and, and the Americanism, the, the Declaration of Independence, and they, they understand implicitly that that's part of, okay, free trade and, and capitalism. You know, they don't necessarily like the name. Sometimes people don't like the name capitalism, and I have a, have a whole different segment that I do on why capitalism is a word and a concept that's important to save. And I have arguments with people who are, you know, definitely free marketeers who still say, well, capitalism is too tainted. But, but we do spend a lot of time talking about, no, we don't actually have capitalism right here. I mean, capitalism gets blamed for all these things. I was just talking to someone who's very, very knowledgeable uh, on the left, you know, very knowledgeable person in Colorado politics um, yesterday. And he was, he was talking about the urgency. And you, you guys might relate to this. I mean, uh, all over the country, you have this, homeless problem and affordable housing problem. And what they want to do is more of the same medicine that's out of there. They, have, they want more, okay, we need to support people, give them payments, take them off the street and so forth, and we need to have more restrictions about housing. And that's the problem that's actually caused this affordable housing and homelessness problem in many ways. Um, so capitalism gets blamed so many times for things that it has no responsibility for. We don't have capitalism in a housing market anywhere in the it's one of the most most controlled industries there is, if if you can rank them. Um, so we got to make sure that we understand what is capitalism and what is not. And people people continue to think we have capitalism here. We don't have it at all, and anywhere close to it, we haven't had for for decades or even longer. 
We're talking to Michael Williams. He's a board member of the leadership program of the Rockies. He's the creator of the Defenders of Capitalism Project. He's the founder and president of Altius Financial, which is out in Denver, and he's also a main cog in the Charter Oak Leadership Program here in, in Connecticut. So you often quote Adam Smith and his assertions that self-interest is natural and it's necessary for a moral drive, if you will. But um, same Adam Smith who wrote Wealth of Nations also wrote its companion theory of moral sentiments, which basically argued mankind is hardwired for empathy. Now, I actually disagree with that sentiment. I believe mankind is hardwired for savagery, but we do learn empathy through the course of our life. But capitalism does get a bad rap because we often forget that there is a human side to it, right? There is give. There is a lot of charity. There's a lot of that stuff going on, right? Well, I think it gets a bad rap because it's not understood. Uh, you know, people think if you're for capitalism, you're against charity, and that's not true at all. In fact, capitalism created charity. I mean, you can only have charity. You can only give if you have something to give. And people typically don't give if they're living, uh, you know, scratch the dirt type of uh, life, uh, life expectancy and life lifestyle. You know, if they're barely subsisting, then they don't have anything to really give in the way of charity. Right. So the creation of surplus wealth, which is what capitalism consequentially does because of its moral goodness, it creates surplus. People people are looking out for their self-interest. And we'll talk about Adam Smith, if you want, a little more deeply on that. Um, but people are looking in a free society. They're looking out for their self-interest. But they, have, they end up having a longer time horizon because they're thinking longer term. They're thinking about, okay, I've got a stable environment where my rights are respected. And I can accumulate more from my, my own security and my family and, and, the, and the flourishing of, of myself and my family, then I want to share that. And right. so charity is actually a creation of capitalism. And people don't really understand that. Now, going back to Adam Smith, I mean, it's interesting. I was at this Montpellier Society uh, meeting, as I mentioned before, in Europe. And uh, uh, the, the, the folks there who are, uh, in many ways, you know, economists and free market experts themselves, do harken back much to Adam Smith. And Adam Smith, I was interviewing the Adam Smith Institute founder uh, in, in uh, from London uh, when I was out there. And Adam Smith was, first and foremost, a moral philosopher. Think, people think of him as the father of economics. But you're exactly right. He, he, you know, he wrote much about morality. And he did write that, uh, I mean, that there is this view that, okay, here's what human nature is. And I think he was right about most of what his observations were with regard to human nature and that, and he, you know, he ultimately came up with this concept of the invisible hand. When people are self-interested, it just seems like it works out better. Right. And that was a little bit odd with, you know, his moral view and the moral view at the time that, okay, well, that means people are, as you said, maybe selfish and savage like, you know, but they also have this empathy. And I don't, I don't know that either one, either one of those views essentializes enough and says, okay, here's what the nature of man is. I mean, it, there are definitely individuals who are savages and there are people who are, who are long-term rationally self-interested. And then there are people who, uh, who are in both senses, uh, can be, can be empathetic, uh, and, and charitable to their fellow men. But, but it is a moral view that Adam Smith introduced and it's been developed by the Austrian economic, uh, economist, Austrian school more lately. And, uh, I would say the objectivist school as well. So you mentioned you were on this whirlwind tour. What was the purpose of going to Norway, Iceland, Italy? Well, so it's interesting. I had given a, a, a birthday gift to my 
two older daughters to take them to Iceland. So I spent some Iceland, some time in Iceland, just really on a personal basis, and then and then turned it into a, a larger trip to see my youngest daughter in Italy, and then ultimately uh, to spend some time in Norway uh, at the Mont Pelerin Society meetings. Um, they they meet uh, typically once a year, sometimes twice a year. The Mont Pelerin Society was established by uh, I mentioned the uh, Austrian School of Economics. People like Milton Friedman, Friedrich Hayek, uh, Ludwig von Mises, uh, these are uh, Nobel Prize winning economists uh, who established this in 1947. And they saw, uh, they wanted to preserve liberalism. And, and I think for, for many of the people, many of the audiences in the U.S., and particularly uh, you know, conservative audiences, they think, well, why would you want to preserve liberalism? Well, you know, back in, 19, in the 1940s and certainly before that, Liberalism was the conservatism. I mean, right. It was it was liberalism. Classical liberalism was uh, this idea of people being able to be free and tread with each other. And and so they they wanted they saw many threats at that time in, in 1947 after the war of authoritarianism, and and they wanted to establish this international society, which I'm privileged to be a part of, to discuss ideas that are affecting not just economics. But also culture and and how how nations trade with each other and how individuals trade with each other and and it's a it's an organization that's committed to freedom and and free people. How would you rate the health and prognosis for capitalism here in the United States? Considering it seems like the growing percentage of particularly young people have embraced socialism. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. I mean, it's it's not good. That's for sure. Capitalism is not healthy. It doesn't exist anywhere. I mean, we don't have freedom anywhere. We we had some examples. You know, Hong Kong was a good example of uh, a mostly free society. It was showing up all the time on the you know the there's a number of different organizations that do freedom rankings, and Hong Kong was always number one. And it was again a wonderful proof of a, a, a little small island that had very little in the way of natural resources but had the rule of law and basically let people uh, live freely, what that can do in terms of both uh, material and spiritual progress. Um, but, but uh, you know, since the Communist Party is uh, now asserting its will on Hong Kong, and we have that kind of authoritarianism going on throughout the world, including the U.S. We have this idea of looking for, you know, a uh, philosopher king person who, you know, a, a, a personality who might be, able to really assert their will, uh, no matter what party they're in, to say, okay, we're going to take control. Our guy's in control now, and he's going he's to be the one who actually has the authority to make things right. And that authoritarianism is spreading throughout the world, and it's definitely anti-capitalism. I would say I'm optimistic. I, I, you know, There are lots of young people who would call themselves socialists, but if you ask them questions about their own property, their own <laughs> lives, yeah. uh, they are definitely <laughs> interested in actually improving. <laughs> yeah, it changes a little bit in that case. Yeah, yeah, we, we've had a couple of uh, economic professors on here in the last uh, six months, and you know, really smart guys. And I've gone back to school at Nichols College in Massachusetts. Just great faculty, great staff, fantastic instructions, tremendous professors. And my macroeconomics professor, Hans Desmond, came on the other day, and they were talking about universal basic income. And one of the main points that Professor Despin made was that giving someone a paycheck every week or every month will drastically reduce crime. I, I don't think that, I think that's wishful thinking. Um, there, there, it's a complicated argument to talk about, okay, how do you go from what we have today, which is all kinds of distortions 
in the marketplace and in terms of trying to help people who are, you know, quote, at the bottom uh, or who are, you know, out of luck or, or maybe have, have some disease or disability, um, universal basic income is a, is a horrifically immoral idea in my view. And that's partly, that's partly the movement that the left and the progressives want to go down of just bringing, bringing the common denominator down. Now they, they, again, they'll exclude themselves. They'll say, I can still use plenty of energy, you know, but we want this, you know, we want this green conservation, you know, turn your thermostat down. Don't drive your SUV for you, for the masses, but I, I'm going to exclude myself from that. But, but universal basic income is the idea of basically saying, you know, everyone needs to have this floor of, of economic income. And it, it, you might say many people are well-intentioned because they're saying, well, every human being should have some kind of dignity and, and financial ability to support themselves. But it ends up having all kinds of distortion and, and both from a economic standpoint and a moral standpoint, right. you, you end up having lots of moral. Um, and we saw this during COVID, basically. I mean, it wasn't universal basic income, but you had lots of free money being out there. And we're still this inflation problem we're, we're experiencing right now is part of that. Right. You're, you're paying people not to work. You're giving them more money to consume, but they're producing less. Well, prices are going to go up. You know, and, right. and, it, and it's causing all kinds of distortions in the marketplace. And, and, and if we implemented a universal basic income, we'd see the same kind of problem. Stepping back and taking a look at this from a more macro level, I believe every leading economic powerhouse in the history, recent history anyway, of the world has gone through an arch, an effect where they've risen and then they've fallen. I'm convinced, maybe I'm wrong, tell me, I'm convinced we're in the beginning stages of our economic decline. Like some economic publications are actually making disturbing predictions that not only will China eclipse our economic dominance by 2050, but India will as well. Any thoughts on that? Well, if I were making a bet on that, I would still bet on the U.S. or India. I certainly wouldn't bet on China. And it, the key thing, and this, I would say this is really important for people who are, who are freedom lovers, and those of us who are, you know, sort of right of center and want to, to defend, uh, freedom and prosperity, we have to recognize that we have to be consistent. And if you understand that, that China is an authoritarian regime and that they are actually now having bigger problems because of that. Now they, they started to really move down the freedom path. And you, you mentioned that sort of arc. I wouldn't say every country that's gone through uh, economic history has had the same exact pattern, but you, your, your point is well taken because, you know, when people free, free up their economy, they start to allow some property rights. They start to respect contracts. They start to uh, allow people to make decisions. You, you end up with a, if you have a decentralized system, you end up with more prosperity. And China was doing that. Uh, now we in the West have made some mistakes with regard to how we dealt with China, uh, on both sides. I mean, whether it was, uh, some of our some of our trading our trade war issues were you know, those were not well conceived at all, and we also have uh, not understood the nature of the Chinese Communist Party and and the fact that they were committed to still control. But they're not going to win. I mean, the, the Chinese are not going to win unless they they uh, again liberalize like they were on the path to, and that doesn't that especially this week uh, with their their uh, ongoing uh, meetings there. Right. Yeah, they're, they're not right now committed to liberalization and openness, and they're going to continue the decline or difficulty they're having. Um, India, on the other hand, sound, seems like it's got a, it's got a better case. And certainly the best case is America potentially. Now, yeah. you're right. We're not on the right path at all. 
Um, and we are in decline, and we have been in decline. If you think of any major measurement, now we look at GDP growth and all kinds of economic factors, and if you look at those, we're just not growing like we used to. We can't. We we have this massive debt right. that we're that's a, an anchor on our economic engine, but we're not growing spiritually either. We're we're making lots of really stupid decisions as a culture. You can see that. Uh, we could talk more about that, but we're we're seeing in many ways a decline over the last several decades. Now, do I think it's terminal? Not at all. I think that, you know, that's why I'm part of the, the Charter Oak Leadership Program and, and showing people that there's a much brighter future uh, if we defend freedom properly. Michael Williams is the creator of the Defenders of Capitalism Project, and he's with us here today. We're right near the, the midterms, three weeks away. What's the biggest mistake some of these politicians running for federal office make when it comes to economics? Well, the biggest mistake is they don't understand the argument. I mean, politicians, most politicians are woefully ignorant with regard to both the economics of a free market versus statism and the morality of it. So they, they don't understand uh, either one of those. They're, they're ignorant with regard to economics. So, you know, one, one thing to, to, is to have better advisors because, you know, the politicians are usually the mouthpieces sure. of advisors who are listening to you know, more principled thinkers, either on the left or the right. Um, so they should be hiring better advisors. But you, you have to, one of the biggest mistakes is not understanding and articulating it in a fairly simple way that a person has a right to their own life. And to challenge the premise that, okay, government by using force. I mean, I think one of the, the biggest mistakes people on the right side, uh, the freedom side make is not challenging premise not challenging the premise that, okay, this new centralized program, for example, like I mentioned in the housing, the housing market, you know, people say, well, we have this housing problem. Yes, you see that housing problem right now. What caused it? Um, what's the premise behind your idea that you're going to continue to solve? I mean, we've had seen so many examples of people trying, politicians trying to solve problems with centralized control and the use of force and more regulation. And it ends up having the opposite effect and I think uh, politicians need to challenge that. You're an optimist, I can tell. I'm a pessimist by nature. What if we lose and abandon capitalism? What happens? Well, you can never abandon freedom and capitalism uh, entirely. Uh, um, you know, if you have a really authoritarian regime, then you're going to smother the the engine of growth. And and even your if you're the authoritarian in charge, you're going to smother it and not not be able to. We're seeing this with Putin. You know, he, he's having he's got less, fewer and fewer resources and fewer fewer people to rely on. Um, so you end up having uh, black markets. Uh, you end up having you know people trying to go around the system, and this happens all over Europe, right? They have all kinds of rules and regulations, and people just kind of scoff at them and they don't listen to them. They they try to live their lives as best they can, but but you don't have you have you do have decline. You have uh, life expectancies stagnate or even even get you know uh, go down we've seen that in the u.s now part of that was because of covid but i'd say covid was a you know not well responded to uh, by our end of our politicians and uh the the life expectancy um reductions that we're experiencing right now are partly because of that but also partly because of the regulatory environment we have right now we don't get the we don't get anywhere the innovation we ought to have and would have in a free market but um i am optimistic i i think that it is a matter of time. I mean, there's a there's a, a critical mass of people we need who understand both that economic practical 
practicality of freedom, but who are willing and courageous enough to say, yeah, and it's also good. And that person, that means a person has a right to their own life. And we're getting that. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing more and more people be open to that argument. Now, again, it's a race. It, it, you know, there's, there's a, a, a window that we're talking about before it really is ugly. Um, and I can't predict the future, but I, I think I want to fight for it. Right. Absolutely. Michael Williams is a board member of the leadership program of the Rockies, creator of the Defenders of Capitalism. He's the founder and president of Altius Financial out in Denver, Colorado, and he's also a main cog in the Charter Oak Leadership Program here in Connecticut. And if folks want to learn more about Charter Oak Leadership Program, what website do they go to? And if they want to learn more about you, where do they go to learn about that? Absolutely. They should definitely be checking out and applying for. I mean, we're recruiting for next year's class. We're we're just starting this year's class. Uh, uh, We're done with Class number one. I don't know how much your your audience has heard about the Charter Oak Leadership Program, but they should be applying for that. And they can go uh, to, to the website uh, charteroakleadershipprogram.org, I believe is uh, the the website. And they certainly should be checking out my website, defendersofcapitalism.com. We're definitely a non We are definitely a for profit organization, uh, and and it's not a .org. We're uh, so defendersofcapitalism.com. They, and they can certainly reach out to me, Michael, at DefendersOfCapitalism.com on my email address. Mr. Williams, I hope we can do it again. I hope we can make it a regular thing down the road every once in a while. We'll get you on when some economic stuff hits, and we'd like to get your opinion on some of that stuff. I would love to do that, Lee. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And and, uh, and I know many in your audience are doing great great work on the part of uh, Fighting for Freedom, too. And, uh, so I, I appreciate you having me on. All right, brother. Thank you. I'll talk to you down the road. All right, that wraps it up for us. Thank you, everyone, for listening from start to finish. Enjoy your weekend. The 94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Capital Idea with Mike Williams. And I'm from the Defenders of Capitalism Project. And you've been listening to an interview I did with Lee Elsie, the voice of freedom, national syndicated radio voice and friend of mine. And hopefully you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on the Defenders of Capitalism Project and the Capital Idea. Please like, follow, and share this with your friends. We'll talk to you next time. 